Good morning. I bring greetings from uh, my family, uh, of course, Bernadette and uh, our four kids. Uh, they are all scattered in different places. Uh, our first daughter, who 10 years ago tomorrow was here, actually, uh, when she turned 21. So some of you remember, uh, my wife and I decided that she would join us on this trip because I was preaching that weekend and she was turning 21. And so we invited her and uh, we said maybe because of the American crazy culture that uh, when somebody turns 21, they go drinking. And so we said, how can we save our daughter from the American crazy culture of drinking? <laughs> and so we brought her here and uh, she will never forget that uh, uh, that morning, I think Lloyd had uh, uh, asked all of you, those who were here, to sing happy birthday to her. And that has been since then the best birthday day she has ever had. And so uh, the other day when I was telling her that we are coming here, she told me to bring greetings. Uh, since then, she has uh, gone to medical school. Uh, she finished medical school. She's a medical doctor. And now she's a missionary with Samaritan's Pulse in Kenya. And so that's where she is. Our second daughter is working in Liberia uh, with the government and helping the government to set up systems that prevents corruption, and our boys are busy also in Dallas, and so all of them send greetings. Uh, but also, I came back from South Sudan uh, this week on Wednesday. I spent last week in South Sudan, and so your friends, Peter, Sunday, James Buck, and all the staff that you have faithfully served, and Rhoda, and those in Vietnam, they said, please, when you get to fellowship, bring our greetings. And so it is a great honor for me and for Bernadette to, for us to be back here as uh, uh, we are part of your family and I want to thank you. I want to thank you for what uh, you are doing uh, through um, your teams that you send, through your support, the work of God continues on. Uh, I'm uh, so uh, grateful that uh, we get to get together. And sometimes as uh, we think about the church, uh, we think about our belonging to each other, our friendship that begins here, but one day when we get home, we are going to rejoice together. But meanwhile, we spend time together, we laugh together, we cry together, we eat goat heads together. And uh, <laughs> when my brother Lloyd said, uh, there's nothing to eat on the head goat, I told him, oh yeah, you begin with kissing the head. Biting the mouth and the nose and, uh, oh man, don't make me start. So it's, <laughs> I'm getting hungry already. <laughs> but that is what it means to belong. Because we can cry, we can laugh, we can rejoice, and we can accept whatever comes on our way when we know we are in God's will. When we, are, we know that we are serving the Lord. Uh, this last few days um, and month, maybe uh, you have been uh, through the book of Acts. And that's one of my favorite books in the Bible because I see reality of what it means to belong to Christ. I see not only the joy, I see not only the challenges, I see the above the persecution, I see the hopes of the church. I see both the church struggling to understand its, uh, its space on the world, but also I see the church rising up to bring hope to brokenness. And so today I want again to remind us why the church matters. And so in uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 6 to 8, we read Jesus is almost 
leaving the disciples, and he gives them some commands, and he begins to talk to them, and then the 12, actually the 11, because they had not replaced Judah yet, and the 11, they look at him, and they ask him this question, which is the question that we ask. With the question that actually, when you look at it, is the beginning of the church did not even understand. These 12 or 11 people did not understand the whole plan of God. Because they were looking at it from their cultural, narrow perspective. And this is the question they put to Jesus. They said, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? From Romans, from the people who have enslaved us, from these foreigners that have taken over our land. I want to restore our glory, our, our, our joy in this small land of Israel. That's why their perspective, just them, their tribe, their nation, that's what they had in view. And then Jesus tells them, that's in none of your business. That's actually what he told them. It is not your business. He says, it is not for you to know the days, the times, the dates that the Father has set by his own authority. That's not your business. And however, this is your business. He says, but this is your business as the church. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so from day one, Jesus begins to tell his disciples, my perspective is global, is wider than what you think. It's not just to restore the Israel. In fact, it's not even my business to restore the political kingdom of Israel. My body that I'm building is a spiritual body, is global, is not local. Yes, it begins local, but the perspective and the extension is wider. And so from this point on, you see the disciples then, they begin to actually understand that their calling is not to focus on themselves, but their calling is to go beyond. And in fact, by the end of uh, the, most of the life of these 11 disciples, by their lives was ending, Thomas had taken the gospel to India. And that's quickly how the church moved from locality to a global church. And so people say that the church matter. Yes. Altogether, from the beginning, the church mattered because Christ had a plan to fulfill and he was going to use the feeble people, weak people, who had least, less understanding of his plan, but he was going to use them and to fulfill his plan. And so I'm going to share with you five reasons why the church matters. And I will be brief on some and I'll be long on others. First, the church matters because she is the body of Christ. You see, the church is not just an institution that's created by anyone. The church is a unique institution. In fact, the church becomes very crucial because Christ himself paid by his blood on the cross to purchase for himself the people from all tribes or all nations to become the church. So he paid by his blood to redeem us. And Paul tells us in Ephesians 5, 27, that he paid to purchase the church for himself in splendor so that the church would be without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. 
the beginning of our beginning, the beginning of your beginning begins with the blood of Christ. You matter for Christ because the church is you. Many people say, oh, I love Jesus, I hate the church. Have you heard about that? Oh, I love Jesus, but I will not go together with other believers. You see, just like if you are a man who is married, someone says, oh, John or, or Celestine, I love you, but I hate your wife. What will you do? I mean, you may slap him. No, don't do that because that's for unsaved people, you know. Uh, you know, don't do that, you know. You tie your hands behind, you look at them and say, why did you say, you love me, you hate my wife? It's impossible because my wife and I, we are one. You can't hate me and love my wife. If you hate me, you hate my wife. And so most people say we hate the church, but we love Jesus. That's a lie. Because Christ died for the church. So you can't love him and hate the church. Recently, in March this, this year, I went to visit one of the countries where we serve. As uh, uh, Lloyd uh, mentioned, we began in one of the genocide and helping the church that has survived. The uh, pastors who had lost their wives and the children who were leaving the ministries, who were saying, where was God when my wife and the children were murdered? And the pastors who had hid the people in their homes when the ministry came and said, John, you are hiding the wrong people. If you don't give them up, we'll kill you with your wife and the children. Unfortunately, some of those pastors released the people they were hiding in their houses, and the members of their congregations were killed in front of their yards. And those pastors were saying, can I be forgiven? Can I be a pastor again? Of course, other pastors had given up who they are to be part of the killing because they told they were Hutu or they were Tutsi first, and then the Christian identity had been thrown out. But as we began the ministry, we expanded in the region to Congo, to uh, Burundi, to Kenya, to Tanzania, to Uganda, to Sudan, South Sudan. And so as our staff works on building the church and strengthening the body of Christ, because she is the only hope, in one of the countries they had tortured and beaten up our staff. And so in March, I went to encourage our staff and to encourage the pastors to visit some pastors in jail. And uh, uh, one of my goals was to visit one of the government officials who had been part of this uh, uh, terrible uh, treatment of, of people because they are believers. Of course, as I, I sat in his office, I had in my mind um, what he's going to do because I was going to confront him with the truth. And uh, of course, I knew that there's nothing that he can do that uh, had never been done to me. I had been tortured because of my work and confronting my own tribesmen on forgiveness and reconciliation when they, are, they want to revenge, when they want to kill one another, whatever you call it, justice. And so I had been beaten up and put in jail and tortured. I said, there's nothing that he can do because Christ that I follow he is over everything. So as I sat in his office, I began to ask him a question. He said, you know, we hate alarm, we love alarm. And he said, what did you say? We hate alarm, we love alarm. So I told him, oh, let me tell you, when I went to America, my friends took me to a restaurant, and on the menu there was sweet and sour soup. And then from Africa, I say, sweet and sour soup, sweet and sour chicken. Then when I bought the, the soup, I could not taste the sweet, the sweetness. I could not taste the sour. I got more confused. So I told him, can you explain to me this love and hate of alarm? So he told me, 
I will tell you why we love alarm. He said we love alarm because in our country we have had tribalism and hatred and, and the communities killing each other. And the alarm is the only organization that is able to convince people to sit down and talk about how they can survive, how can they coexist and, and they forgive one another. Even if they have killed each other's wives and children, they are able to see it, to forgive and to begin to dream together how to live in peace. He said, Alam has been able to bring people that the government has not been able to bring together. And so he said, we love Alam. Then I say, why do you hate Alam? By that time, I was actually finding the exit door uh, so that I can escape if I can. But he said, we hate Alam because Alam is building what we are trying to destroy. You see, in this specific nation, there are more... Uh, uh, radical Muslim who want to destroy the church. They have put Christians in jail. They have tortured our staff because they are building, they are training the church. So he said, we are trying to destroy the church, but Alam is training them, is teaching them how to reach out to their neighbors, how to love their neighbors, how to evangelize. And so we can't destroy the church because of Alam. I say, actually, no, you are mistaken. You can't destroy the church because the church is the body of Christ. She is the bride of Christ. I told her people have, in history, have tried to destroy the church. They have died before they succeeded. You can have the church people bleed. You can torture them, but you cannot kill the church. And so, my friends, the church matters. She is the bride of Christ. She belongs to Christ. And who is the church, by the way? So when we say the church, who is the church? It's you. It's me. The church is not a building. The church is not the, the, the pews. We have space to meet and, and, and to, get, to be sheltered against the elements, but the church is you. Wherever you are, you are the church. You are very important. You matter to Christ. That's why individually Christ died for each one of you individually, and therefore he is happy that you belong to him. He died for you. And so we make the church, but we make the church not only a localized church, we become part of the global church. And so the second reason the church matters is that God uses the church as an instrument to reveal his plan and purpose of the world. You know, God has a plan, and, and uh, we will talk about this plan later alone. But if God had a plan and there's something that he wants to accomplish throughout the world, he decided that, through the church, he will make his plan, his purpose fulfilled. And therefore, to God, the church matters because she is an instrument that he is going to use for his plan. He has a plan. He has a plan A. By the way, there's no plan B for God. In fact, we can't talk about the plan. What is purpose? He has a purpose, and the purpose he has to fulfill it, the church must play its role. And so Paul in Ephesians 3, in fact, he says to me, this grace has been given. Even though I'm the least of the saints, he says this grace has been given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. The mystery hidden in God who created all things. Listen to this. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to people, to authorities and powers. 
You see, God has a plan. God has wisdom that he wants to reveal to the rest of the world. But how he's going to do that is not through the angels, not through the gods, not through the dogs, even though Americans like dogs. It's not through even our government. It's not even through the UN. You know, UN stands for United for Nothing sometimes. <laughs> Especially if you are from Rwanda, where before the killing, before the genocide of my people, the UN took the troops out of Rwanda and then left us to slaughter each other. That's why we say it's UN for anything, United for Nothing. No, God did not choose the UN or any other organizations. God cannot use our governments, our, inst- our institutions as government institutions. They are not chosen by God, even though they are part of God's plan to do something. But the plan for salvation that we are going to look at, the church is the instrument to bring that plan to be fulfilled. And so the wisdom of God cannot advance. The plan that God has, he decided through the church, his wisdom will be known. So you and I, wherever you are, you are instrument of God. It's not necessarily few people among you, it's all of us. You may decide to delegate some of us, you may decide to do something in your corner, you may decide to be part of the global, but each one of us, God has chosen you specifically to be an instrument to carry out his plan. The third reason that why the church matters is then this big, big thing. Because the church is God's instrument to redeem the lost. You see, God's plan is to redeem the lost. And he used the church, he uses the church to bring the gospel. And of course, in Matthew 28, the Great Commission says, you will be all my witnesses where? In Jerusalem, you take the gospel to the ends of the world. You preach, you baptize, you disciple the people. And so the church is given this important ministry to take the redemption message to proclaim salvation, to proclaim redemption, to proclaim freedom from sin to the rest of the world. That is a beautiful message that only the church carries. You see, I stand here because a small church, a little church in Cleveland, Ohio, sent a missionary to Rwanda when I was 14 years old. In fact, when we saw this funny-looking thing in our village, this white man who came to our village, when we saw him, we had never seen a white man. I was 14. I never seen a white uh, person. And when we found this funny-looking thing, we said, what is that? Some of us thought he was either one of the ancestors from the graves. And the others thought he was one of the animals from the bush. <laughs> and so we go and pull his hair and pinch him and, 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 and rub to see if the white stuff will come off. <laughs> and then, lo and behold, he would sit us down and he begin to share the gospel. He began to say, because God loved the world, because he loved the world so much, he gave his son who shed his blood, who died for the sinners so that People of all nations, even you, small boys, if you trust in God, you are redeemed. You are saved from sin. You are saved from the slavery of sin. You are redeemed. You become the sons and daughters of God. 
You see, I never had that gospel before because the gospel I had been told by my family was that for me to live, for my family to live, we have to offer sacrifices every day to slaughter chickens and goats and to sacrifice so that the ancestors can give us life. That is the life that I had known because my family grew up, my family were practicing uh, ancestral worship. In fact, when I was born, my mom had no children for nine years, and all the women in the village, they thought she was a cursed woman. She could not hold other babies because the women, they thought if she touched their babies, they would die. And so she was an outcast when I was born. Then when I was born, by God's grace, she taught the ancestors had had her prayers, they gave her a son, so she named me Musekura. In my mother tongue, Musekura means a somebody who saves you, a savior. So for her, I became a savior. And so that's how I grew up. And then because I was born, I was taught I'm going to be a priest. And so from the age of five, I began to practice how to slaughter animals. By the age of seven, I knew how to slaughter chicken, goat, take the blood of animals in a small house and make sacrifices. And I asked my ancestors to bless me, to protect me and to protect my family and our goats and our cows. But when I was 11 years old, something happened to my family. My sister, who was two weeks old, died. And when she died, I was told by my parents it was my fault. Because had I presented the sacrifice well, ancestors would not have killed her. So by the time I met the missionary, I was miserable. I was asking questions, who is going to die next? Can I please the dead? Can I uh, be a good priest? Can I uh, make a good sacrifice so that I can save my family? But because of the gospel, because of the church, small church in Cleveland, Ohio, had sent him to preach redemption to the lost. And that's the goal, and that's the job of us, the church, is how can the church like this preach redemption? Today, even as we speak, there are more pastors in South Sudan because of your leaders who have come to train. There are more women who have been trained by the women from this church. There are more pastors who have been trained. Even though the, night, the nation of South Sudan is in turmoil, people have fled. Two million are living in the refugee camps in, in Kenya, in Uganda. The preachers continue to preach. They are preaching salvation wherever they are because they are the church. And that's why when the church here says less under our trees, more to the world, is because the church is going to send somebody like Kyle to the village of the lost, where skinny, ugly boys like I was, they are going to listen to the gospel and accept Christ. When Kyle explained the gospel, three years later, when I turned six, uh, 17, I gave my life to Christ. My family, then I was living at, the high, at the high school, in a boarding school. They sent a delegation to say, never come back home because they thought if I went home, they will die. And so they say, never come back home. I became a homeless. For seven years, I had no relationship with my family. But at the end of my high school, I wanted to go tell my mother about the real Savior. And as I discussed with the missionary, he said, maybe God is calling you to be a preacher. I said, I don't understand, but I want to tell my mom who is lost about the Savior. I went to Bible school, then 1983, graduated, went to my village, became a preacher, and God, by His grace, used me to preach to my mother about the real Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. 
My mom believed she's, uh, she got saved. Then I led my brother to Christ. My brother is still alive. He's a better preacher than I am. He is over 42 pastors in Rwanda within the Baptist church. You see, my father later on came to Christ, and by God's grace, the ministry began. And so today, because of God's grace, because the church preaches redemption, I got saved. The Lord used me to bring salvation and to preach redemption to my family that were lost, worshiping the dead. They began to worship their Savior. And lo and behold, my own family, they are involved in church planting. You see, that's what the church does. You and I, we are to bring the gospel to those who are lost. And so the church is God's instrument to redeem the lost. But the fourth reason is the church is God's instrument to reconcile brokenness. Second Corinthians chapter 5, 17, 21 begins to tell us that we are ambassadors. When anyone, anyone means anyone. Anyone means whether you're born in America or in the bush, like myself in Rwanda, or you are rich or poor, anyone in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. We acquire a new identity. So our identity is no longer Hutu and Tutsis. And identity in America, some of you, you are more tribal. And people say, no, we are not Hutus. We don't have Tutsis and Hutus in America. No, you do. You have them. They are called Democrats and Republicans. <laughs> and so we get divided on those tribal lines rather than realizing that as Christians, our identity in Christ supersedes any other identity. The reason why we killed each other in Rwanda where it was said the majority of the people in Rwanda were saved is because we were nominal Christians. We didn't understand what comes first. You see, our identity, the first identity is in Christ. So in Christ, the Bible says there's no Jew, there's no Gentile, there's no Hutu, there's no Tutsi, there's no white, there's no black, there's no Democrat or Republican. And the Bible says uh, uh, in that passage, uh, it's not only that we have become a new creation, it's not only that we have a new identity, he says because Christ, in Christ God reconciled us to himself, he's not only reconciling us to himself, then he says he gave us the ministry and the message of reconciliation. And we are therefore, what? Christ ambassadors. And so when we got saved, when the church is saved, we are not just living for ourselves. We become representative of Christ. We are reconciled with God uh, horizontally, uh, vertically, but we need to live in life that makes sense horizontally. That's why we are called the peacemakers. And so as we even speak, the church in South Sudan, the people who are serving, they are not only bringing the lost to Christ to reconcile them to God, but they are involved in their neighbors and their nations to be reconciled. I'm giving you an example as I finish this, the, the, the last, the fifth reason. The church is an instrument. The church matters because she's an instrument of bringing healing to a hurting world. The world is hurting around us, and the church's job is to bring healing to the hurting world. You see, we are the salt. We are the light of the world. And so as we live in this world that is crazy, that is hurting, we have people who are traumatized. We have men and, and, and women in the Congo who have been raped. As we speak, we have killings going on in many of our cities in America. We have people who are traumatized by what has been done against them in our cities. And so those broken lives, those 
traumatized children, those uh, women who have survived the unimaginable trauma because of what violence has been committed against them, they need healing, they need hope. As I was in South Sudan last week, at the end of the training, last two days, uh, last week, I was with uh, uh, about 45 women members of parliament of South Sudan. These are Christians, they are serving their nations, but because they are Christians, they are the church in South Sudan. As we were walking with these women uh, by Wednesday, just a day before we began to train them, in Jongole State, one tribe, the Murule, attacked the Newell. They killed 40 people, abducted 52 children. And in this, on, on Thursday, we began to train these women in this group of 45 members of parliament, women, they are those representing both the killed and the killers. On the second day, the lady whose tribe had been murdered, she stood up, she said, now I understand, even though my people have been murdered, but I am also uh, convinced by the word of God that I should not be hating my sister who is sitting in that corner. Because the sister was sitting in the corner, she represented the tribe that massacred her people. And so she stood up, she offered forgiveness on behalf of her family to the people who came and killed 40 people and abducted 52 children. And she said, I am confessing for hatred and, and, and animosity, and as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, there should be no room of hatred and revenge. There should be grace and forgiveness. She says, but I want to call my sister forward because I want not only to ask her to forgive me for hating her, for having resentment because of what they have done, but I want to ask her to join me so together we can bring hope and forgiveness and healing between our tribes. As the other lady from that corner was walking in the middle, she stopped and said, let me ask you a question. A few weeks ago, my people were murdered. Nobody raised their voice. Nobody cried. Now, my people have killed your people. Now everybody's crying. I want to ask you a question. Is the blood of the Newell better than the blood of the Murule? In that room, there was silence. And so she called to come forward. She began to challenge all of us that when a blood is shed, when a blood is shed by anyone, any means, the blood is the same. If we cry for one blood, we should cry for the other blood. And so because these two ladies, they are government officials, but they are also members of the church, they stood not as tribes people, they stood as the church. And in that moment, that is Friday last week, my friends, I saw the church in that room become the church. Not only to cry for the injustice happening, but also to provide hope and healing to people who are broken. And so as they pray together, they forgave each other. They raised up their hands together. Together as the church, we are going to bring the message of repentance, forgiveness, and reconciliation to our people in the jungle. And then the lady who is in charge of the women, caucus, Joyce, and look to me and say, Celestine, we need alarm because the church is weak to preach the message. You see, my friends, if there's hope anywhere in this world, the church is going to be the one to bring hope. And who is the church? It's you. The men and women that have been trained by leaders in this church today, they are in the refugee camps because the church is the only institution that moves with the people. The government of South Sudan has failed. 
The people, two million have left South Sudan. They are living in the northern Uganda and North, and, and North Kenya. Now, the church has moved with them. And so where they are, my friends, the church in those camps, those leaders that you have been supporting, the leaders that you, uh, you pray for, they are in the church because they are in the camps preaching the gospel. So the church is everywhere. The church moves the people even when they are surrounded by death in those camps. Stingy, uh, stinking smell in those camps. Decomposing bodies surrounding them. They are still the church. They are worshiping. They are praising God because their hope cannot be taken away by anything. The church matters because she is the hope of the world. She brings salvation, redemption. She brings reconciliation. And then she brings healing to those who have been brutally and violently violated. Thank you for being the church. The church here is part of the church there. I want to challenge you to think, what is my role? How do I continue to strengthen the church over there so that the church is not just local, the church is global? My prayer is that we continue to think, does the church matter? Do I matter? Because you are the church. You matter because God has a plan. And the plan he has is going to use you to fulfill it. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you.